In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about one woman's struggle to be at home in her body again and how that struggle led her to advocate for others. If you've been listening to this podcast for a little while, or you follow me on social media, chances are you know I lost my left breast to breast cancer treatment in 2012. I decided at that time to go flat, which means I opted against breast mound reconstruction. So on my right, I have a natural breast, and on my left, I'm completely flat, my ribs protruding a little bit. When I put my hand to the spot where my left breast was, I can feel my heart beating in my palm, and it feels like a little bird to me, and I find it grounding. Over the years, this part of my body has become my favorite part, and that's saying a lot. For many, heading into breast cancer treatment going flat feels like the worst-case scenario, the all-else-has-failed nuclear option, but that wasn't the case for me. I knew I didn't want to have a lot of surgeries to get my new breast just right. I wanted one and done, if possible. My guest today knows just what I'm talking about, but she found her way to flat closure on her chest by a different route. She took the long way around, and because of that, she's now a fierce advocate for others to truly know their breast cancer surgery options, because the truth is, if you don't know your options, you don't really have any. My guest today is Sandra Price. Originally working in corporate America in insurance, Sandra had a career makeover courtesy of breast cancer, like many of us. Today, Sandra is the president of a nonprofit organization called Flat Closure Now and the co-founder of the website BS Breast Cancer. She's also a wife, a mama to three teen girls, and calls South Carolina home. Welcome to The Burn, Sandra. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. I could have shared a lot more about you in that introduction, but I know you're going to get to all of that in your story, so I'd really like to go ahead and have us get started. You're going to read a piece that you wrote for our first Changemakers issue. This was one we published two years ago now in the beginning of 2020. God, it feels like we were all such babies in early 2020. (laughs) It really does. (laughs) (laughs) It really does. And uh, shortly after this, too, I... um got to spend some time with you in LA. So that was nice. That's right. We snuck that in right before the whole world closed down. I'm so glad we did that. Yes, me too. So your story is um, is called The Road to Advocacy. And our breast cancer, or I'm sorry, our change makers issues are all about breast cancer advocates. So people who have been through the fire themselves and then decided to stick around and try to make the place better for others. I like to think of these change makers as trail angels, making those mm. paths a little bit better. 
So Sandra, this story is all about how you came to be an advocate. And so I want to turn the mic over to you and let you go ahead and read your story called The Road to Advocacy. Thank you, April. As I stood in front of the sink in my children's bathroom, I slowly unwrapped the ACE bandages that were pinching my side so that my husband could rewrap me with a larger bandage. I caught a glimpse of my newly flat and somewhat concave chest, and I snapped a picture to remember that moment. I immediately sent the picture to my best friend, E, who asked me how I felt. My response, like me again. When I had my bilateral mastectomy at the age of 28, it was the 19th operation I'd had in my lifetime. Yet, the plastic surgeon didn't seem concerned when he told me that the next step after mastectomy was to immediately place expanders behind my pectoral muscles so that we could recreate what was lost. He said, it will be much easier for you to emotionally process if you go to sleep with breast and wake up from surgery with breast. That statement has stuck with me to this day. 16 days post-op, I wrote in my journal that I was mad. I had already recognized that what was on my chest was not mine. I'd love to say that I changed my mind and went flat right then and there, but I didn't. Instead, I told my now ex-husband that I knew something wasn't right and the statement that followed were less than supportive. And so I continued on with the painful expansion process, the switch procedure, and fat grafting. By the end of 2011, my breast mound reconstruction was complete. My surgeon had given me aesthetically pleasing breast mounds that looked great in clothing, but had absolutely no feeling other than the pain I'd feel every time my muscles contracted when I'd shiver. They were cold to the touch and quickly became a part of my body from which I mentally disconnected. The next several years of my life included a divorce, becoming a single mom of three young daughters, and immersing myself in healing from my breast cancer trauma. Alongside speaking on the importance of self-breast exams from an early age and partaking in many walks, on one of those walks, I met the man who would later become my current husband. In 2017, I had a friend who had had a prophylactic mastectomy and elected to stay flat. When she posted her pictures of herself after surgery, I looked at them and thought, she's beautiful. I was dealing with capsular contracture by this point and knew it was time to make a decision on whether or not I was going to have my implants swapped out for new ones. I began to imagine what my own body would look like should I choose to go flat. The idea of not having more surgeries was certainly appealing. I talked this option out with my new husband, and he was extremely supportive in me making whatever decision was right for my body. I scheduled an appointment with a plastic surgeon who was recommended in the town I now live. I went to the appointment with a sheet of questions for him, only to be told that he would not consider explanting me unless I met with a microsurgeon to discuss a flat procedure, because no 35-year-old doesn't want to have breast. I immediately contacted my OBGYN, the doctor I have the most trust in, for a referral to a surgeon in which she had faith. I met with Dr. Apple, and after speaking with him in detail about all of my options, I told him I wanted to explant to flat closure. He was supportive of this decision, and a surgery date was scheduled. In the days leading up to my surgery date, I stumbled upon a photo of a woman named Katie Fink. She was the only person I had ever seen with the same scars my surgeon had told me I would have. And so further, I began to imagine what my body would look like. The day of surgery, the last thing I said to my surgeon before counting back from 10 was, give me a result you'd give your wife or daughter, 
and he did just that. A few months after my explant, I participated in a photo shoot for the Grace Project. I remember shaking as the shoot started. The wind started to lightly blow as I looked up towards the sky, and all of the nerves, the struggle, the pain, the heartache that I had been carrying for so many years left my body. I heard Kate, my other best friend who had passed away the year before, say to me, this is it. This is the path you are supposed to be on. Share your story now. Seeing the Grace Project images for the first time, sharing them, and then reading the responses opened my eyes to the fact that so many women are or have had experiences just like mine. The more I wrote about it, the more my inbox filled with emails from those with whom my story resonated. So many wishing they could change their mind and go flat too. Some who had asked for the same kind of results that I had received and yet didn't receive them, some looking for resources. My dear friend Mia and I decided to start a blog we called BS Breast Cancer. It became a centralized place to share our stories, video interviews, and key pieces of information that we wish we had had. A place to share all of the aspects of breast cancer that we had been sharing on Twitter for so many years before. Soon, we gained several other contributors, more flat women, reconstructed women, and even a couple of men, and ended up garnering the attention of some other powerhouse women in the flat community, and because of that, I was added to a group chat one day by none other than Emily Hopper, the creator of the Facebook group Flatties Unite and Breast Cancer Apparel Label in Powerhouse. It's been nearly two years since that collection of women in the chat titled Changemakers began. Some women couldn't commit, others were added later, some left due to personal circumstances, but the core of us have weathered the storm. With Emily, Melissa Jansen, and myself spending one morning thinking of what we wanted to call our organization, we came up with the term flat closure. But what would we name our website? What about making sure all the handles on social media were available? Within hours, flat closure now took form. It took Emily and I several intense weeks working day and night to build the first ever comprehensive website on all things flat closure related. Other members of our group pieced together information for each page. We reached out to other women in our community for positive imagery to create a photo gallery of every body shape, skin color, and scar type so that future mastectomy patients may be inspired by the possibility of going flat. Flat Closure Now is a nonprofit organization dedicated to ensuring that breast cancer patients and providers understand that going flat is a valid, beautiful, and healthy surgical option after mastectomy. Imagery and visibility are crucial to help propel our mission forward. The flat community needs medical providers to acknowledge our choice to remain flat. With that, we are honored to now be working alongside doctors who are including us in talks to break barriers between patients and providers. I was voted as the first president of this incredible organization, an honor I don't take lightly. I am so proud to be standing alongside all of the amazing women who currently sit on the FCM board and those who helped to found it in this change-making flat advocacy field. Together, we are stronger. Together. We will make a difference. Mm, Thank you, Sandra. Thank you for that powerful story and powerful Mm. writing. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. So we are going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, Sandra and I will chat more about the world of flat closure and finding one's way to advocacy. Here's a review from Annie Oakley, 78. Just what a cancer fighter survivor needs. 
Forget what the doctor ordered. You need this podcast to help you heal your mental psyche. Just kidding. Do what the doctor ordered too. But listening to other survivor stories heals your inner wounds, and that comes from the trauma of receiving a cancer diagnosis. Hearing stories from other young women that faced the unique challenges of fighting breast cancer and then taking the challenge from April's writing prompts to tell my own story is one of the most healing things I've done, second only to my chemotherapy treatments. Love that the magazine has a podcast now, and I love the format and the camaraderie. All right. Welcome back, Sandra. Thank you again for your powerful writing and for being here with me today. Mm -hmm. And thank you again for having me. Such an honor. Absolutely. So I want to first give you an opportunity to catch us up. As I said, you wrote this piece two years ago in 2020. But Mm -hmm. what I didn't mention when I introduced you was that you were no stranger to breast surgery you know, going into the the tale that you told here. Will you give us a quick update on, um, not just an update, but I guess a backstory on your kind of road through breast surgery and where you are today? Yeah. So I actually had my first breast tumor um, when I was a teenager. Um, I found it when I was just, just over 19. So right on that cusp of 18, 19. Um, and had been referred to an oncologist at that time. I had um, an ultrasound and he told me I was too young for it to be breast cancer. So we would just watch it every six months. And then I ended up getting pregnant while I was 19. Um, and during my pregnancy, my tumor doubled in size. And so he very quickly came back and said, this is not normal. This this is likely cancer. And so um, I ended up having my first lumpectomy when my daughter was six weeks old. And so that was my first one. And then I had a recurrence that was in the right side. I had a recurrence in the left side four years after that, um, had another lumpectomy. And then at 28, I had my second recurrence and had my bilateral mastectomy. So I had um, a very rare type of tumor called a Floyd's tumor. It only affects like two to three percent of um, breast cancer cases, and it's actually very similar to an osteosarcoma. So um, it, they actually can grow anywhere in your body. Mine just happened to be on my breast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I like that you um, that you shared that because for some people, maybe flat closure even today still sounds really kind of radical, but you had already Mm -hmm. been through two lumpectomies and many years of living in your body. Yes. I don't know. Like, I just want to really impress upon everyone that you didn't certainly, no one does, but you certainly didn't arrive at this lightly. You were desperate to feel like yourself again. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much so. Because I mean, I knew very early in the reconstruction process that it just, it didn't feel right. Um, And like I said in my story, I wish that I could go back and say I had quickly explanted, you know, looking back in hindsight, but I did. I lived with um, my implants for seven years and they, they shifted on my chest and they did a lot of funky things and, you know, going in for MRIs every two years. And um, like I said, that, that was my 19th surgery when I started and I've had many more since then because I'm a cardiac patient too. And, um, and so you know, just continuing on through this process, the idea of not having any more surgeries, one was very appealing. And two, just knowing how uncomfortable I felt because, 
you know, they were so hard. They had capsular contracture and at grade four capsular contracture, it actually can rupture your implants. And so the chances of if you have it one time, you're going to get it again is very high. Um, so just even the thought of going through this and, and what a lot of people don't understand is that at the max, you're only supposed to have your implants in for 10 years. So, you know, if I lived till 70, that would have been, you know, four or five more surgeries just based on having to have them. And that's like, that's a good estimate. Many people are having them changed out every year to two years because of complications. And so, yeah, it definitely was a decision I didn't take lightly. And I had a lot of years to think about it. And, you know, I know that we hear stories of people that, that struggle with that choice to go flat. But for me, having had both experiences, I can say I'm so much more comfortable in my own skin being Mm -hmm. flat now. Yeah. I, I think that really resonated from your story for sure. And it's interesting. Um, you know, I guess just to kind of echo myself at the beginning of this, when I was talking about options and how you have to know what your options are, it's not just, the, um, the aesthetic options, you know, breast mount Mm -hmm. versus flat closure. It's all of that upkeep that you just described that is possible. Um, I think that every person going into that needs to know, okay, if you go this route, this is what kind of your adventure may look like. If you go this Mm -hmm. route, this is what you might be looking at. And then you can make choices, but we aren't given all of that. I, I don't know if it's because it would scare the heck out of us if we were given all of it right up front. It does. It seems overwhelming. And certainly the fact that a lot of times, you know, if you're not having radiation ahead of time, you're having your mastectomy within a matter of a few weeks. And, you know, you're, you're given all this information. Sometimes we're not given all of the information, even at that, and you still have to sift through it and decide at a time that you've just gotten, you've just heard these words, you have cancer. So that in and of itself is something, and I I always say, you know, I wish that they would immediately give you a number to a therapist Mm. that, that is somebody even that's experienced on our level of having went through it themselves to say, you know, this cancer diagnosis in and of itself is huge. And now you have to make all these decisions on top of it, because if you don't do um, delayed reconstruction with implants, they're putting them in right when you have your mastectomy. And so, so much can change mentally in that time frame where you're just like, I wish I would have made a different decision, you know? And now right. with the FDA coming out with the black box warning for implants and, you know, I got an MS diagnosis after I explanted. So, mm. um, you know, just the link between autoimmune and and all these different things. So it's just so much to weigh and it's so much information. And I wish that cancer centers did a better job of putting you in contact with a grief counselor that could help you sift through these things. Oh, definitely. A grief counselor would be wonderful or just some palliative care as you go through mm-hmm. all that you're going through. Um, one thing I wanted to highlight that you just said is that you have to make these decisions in a landscape that you've never been before really, really quickly. And I think the difference between being diagnosed, you know, 1920, like you were initially, um, me, I was 35. The difference between that and say our grandmothers who are going through it post menopause is that doctors are guiding them on making decisions that they will have to live with for a shorter, potentially shorter amount of time. 
And we, you know, if things line up right, we're hoping to be living with these implants and things for, like you said, you know, decades. And then what does that mean? But things, decisions are made for life-saving measures really, really quickly. And then comes the, oh, and you have to live in this body and somehow Mm -hmm. do that, you know, for hopefully a few decades. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I'm all about writing and the power of words. And so I want to also talk a little bit about those different moments in your story where you paid attention to called out different words that you said and were said to you. Um, the one that I like the most or that really resonated for me was when you said to your surgeon, give me the result you'd give your wife or daughter. And I first just want to commend you on just driving that point home. I think that's really powerful thing to say, but, um, I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about how journaling, how words and talking and writing kind of led you in your, your journey to feel whole in your body again. Mm-hmm. And that's really important to me. I journal almost every single day. And so it's really just what emotion am I sitting with? Because I always want to process everything. And so having that, that journal and being able to read back on it, even from, you know, days after I'd had my mastectomy, um, you know, when you're still on pain meds and it's like just being so in touch with it that like, you don't necessarily remember even what you wrote, but going back and reading it, just having that to reflect on and being like, I immediately felt this way, you know? And so I think that your words and your feelings and your emotions and the way that you're able to express those help guide you on, on paths in life that you're supposed to take if you're, you know, in tune with that. And I also think that the journaling process is just really healing, um, you know, just, and, and it's very, especially like right after the cancer diagnosis, it was so important because I was taking notes in there too. And so, just having that to reflect on has been very healing, very, um, trying to think of like the words to, to describe it, but just being able to reflect really and say, yeah, this is, I, I suspect that this is how I'm going to feel because you don't really know how you feel until you see your body. Um, Mm -hmm. but knowing that that disconnect was there and then feeling the, like I'm home, you know, feeling like, this is me again. Um, it's really interesting how that comes full circle. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I think that you're absolutely right that writing, um, at every stage, but particularly after these really big things are happening to us is really powerful for that retrospective view, like you said, but also because it puts us in touch with how we really feel and Mm -hmm. writing lets us get behind the, the filter that we put out, you know, when we're talking to friends and family, we might think that we're being truthful, but sometimes you discover through writing in a journal or writing to yourself that there's more layers there. Mm -hmm. And it lets you really access parts of your brain that we only access when we're either dreaming or writing. And so it's really powerful. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'm really glad that you were using that. Um, 
So let me, um, in the time we have left, ask you about flat closure now and BS breast cancer and kind of your advocacy today. I'm going to ask you a tongue in cheek question, but you know, in the years since we were both diagnosed and we both went flat, there's been a lot more images out in the world of people going flat. There's been a lot more stories, um, thanks to your work, thanks to what I do at wildfire. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're pushing the, the, idea of letting people know all their options. And, um, so my tongue in cheek question for you is, um, do we need to keep working on this? Like what, what is the next step and what work needs to yet be done in, in flat closure? Yeah, um, definitely. And thank you for asking that. You know, one of our big pushes was getting, um, a static flat closure in the NCI's dictionary, which was accomplished in 2020. Um, so that was a huge step for us. And, um, you know, just being out in front of lawmakers because there is only a certain amount of money that's allocated with insurance coding and stuff for these different procedures. And before, you know, when we didn't have a name for it, it was just you either have reconstruction or you have nothing. And so being able to name our choice so that we can say, this is what we want, this is what we expect. And, you know, really the fact that flat closure is a type of reconstruction. And so that's really important for me to differentiate now and like to get that message out of saying we're having reconstruction with breast mounds, reconstruction with a flap procedure or reconstruction in the form of aesthetic flat closure, because for them to get the smooth contour that we actually should, should have for our bodies, um, there has to be some specific coding around because they are moving adipose tissue. And so that's still kind of where we're, you know, headed towards working on that and trying to get that passed. And so we can have specific codes in there. That's not just a simple mastectomy or, um, you know, radical mastectomy because, because of the tissue and the skin and all of the things that they're doing and not just leaving women with deflated mounds of tissue on their chest. And so, yeah, I think that that's, that's like the big important thing that we're still doing. And also just being here as these resources for women that are newly diagnosed to come in and connect with, you know, one of our big things was imagery because we want every woman to be able to see themselves reflected. And I think that that is so important when you're thinking about your decision too, because, you know, when you go into the plastic surgeon, they have books of like the reconstruction um, with implants, reconstruction with flap, like their work. And how often are we not seeing any type of imagery around flat closure? And so having, you know, these big resources like um, flat closure now, not putting on a shirt. And then we've got our support groups. The fact that we have these images, you know, out there for women is and men is so important so that they can see their body shot, their body shape, scar type, skin tone, um, reflected back at them. I think it's so much easier to imagine yourself. You know, when I first saw this option, it was one of my husband's best friends from, um, high school, his wife, and she had had the prophylactic mastectomy and she is shaped very much like I am. So when I seen her for the first time and I was like, wow, she's beautiful, you know, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. seeing yourself reflected back and it's easier to imagine yourself that way. Yes. 
Absolutely. Well, and two things. Um, one, you're reminding me of kind of realizing after the fact way down the road that my grandmother had gone flat, but not knowing as a child, you know, not knowing why her chest was different or felt different until I had my own flat closure and then realizing, oh, that's what that looks like. That's what that concaveness is. Cause I never saw her without her shirt. I just knew it felt different when I hugged her and mm-hmm. I couldn't put my finger on it. And I wish we would have talked about it. That would have been amazing for me. Um, but the other thing I just wanted to acknowledge was you wrote in your story about seeing Katie Fink's, um, scars and how powerful that was for you, not just to see the, the smooth skin or see that end result, but to also see scars that I think is very, very powerful for our community to see as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's, you know, been really important for us to make sure that we have people represented across the board. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because it is. And, you know, when you're talking to your surgeon, that's one of the things that, you know, we recommend asking, what will my scar look like? Like, what is the shape of my scar? Because there's so many different types of scars, you know, Katie and I, have anchor scars and um, hers was as a result because she'd had a previous breast reduction where mine was all of my different tumor placement. And then I'd had a a nipple sparing mastectomy. And so for them to remove that and get all the skin that they stretched, you know, back down, that's the, the resulting scar. And since Katie and I have made connections with a lot of women in our community that have the same scars as us, um, which is, it's just a beautiful thing. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's that representation is just so important for women to see. Right. Absolutely. Well, and like you just said, there's so many different types of scars. I think before you go into breast cancer world, you kind of think that it's all going to be the same, but some are high, some are low, like yours for anyone who doesn't know that anchor shape is like an upside down T shape. And, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly amazed when I see different photos of different scars because there are so many and that kind of gut punch when you see your own, it's really powerful. Yeah. I did have um, someone reach out to me who ended up with anchor scars too. And she said um, when she first saw her scar, she was like, why couldn't I have the cute scars? Like so many oh. other women do that are just the straight line. And then she happened to see um, our now this video that mm-hmm. Melly and I did. And she said, you know, she's about 20 years older than me. So she said when she saw me in there with my images and she was like, if that girl can be smiling and be happy, I can too. Absolutely. Well, and it's so interesting, you know, that she would think that someone else's scar was cute and hers were not. And like these labels we put on things and these expectations and it leaves space for a deficit and feeling less than. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, we'll definitely link to your, um, to that video. It was a very powerful video. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. And we, same with that. We tried to include, you know, a mirage of different women in that so that people, if they, you know, don't know anything about flat closure now or anything like that, that if they saw that image, cause it, you know, it was, it went viral, mm-hmm. you know, we know more people are connecting with it that way to see that option and to say, okay, I just watched this flash of all these different body shapes, scar type, skin color. You know, and that was so important for us to include in that too. Absolutely. Well, and especially um, 
the skin color piece of it because scars heal differently, different skin types heal differently. It, we need to see all the options so mm-hmm. someone can find herself in there or his self, like you said. Yeah. So on that note, will you tell us where people can find more about you and your work online? Yeah, absolutely. So our primary website is flatclosurenow.org. Um, and we have a lot of resources on there. Um, we try to keep, as other people do, articles even in the community linking to those so that, you know, it's really a one-stop place that you can find articles, you can find other women um, in our community and things like that. So that's really important. And then I am also on BS Breast Cancer on Twitter. Awesome, Sandra. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Definitely. And thank you for your work. Thank you for continuing to do this. Thank you for your work. I enjoy reading it every <laughs> every single time it comes out. I'm so glad. All right. Well, with that, I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. If you like what you hear, leave us a starred review to help others find their way to writing the stories that need to be told. All right, here is your writing prompt for today. The question is, what would it take to feel like me again? When we were listening to Sandra, she was talking about how her first surgeon tried to recreate what was lost on her chest or rather not her first surgeon, but the surgeon who did her implant surgery. But we know that breast cancer takes so much more than our breasts. So I want you to spend some time writing about what it would take for you to feel like you again. Sandra realized she needed to remove her implants. What do you need? So set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing. Seriously, keep your hand moving the whole time. There's magic in there. And the prompt again was, what would it take to feel like me again? Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.